Many years ago, I had graduated from Bible college. I was beginning my road life as a traveling evangelist, literally uh, traveling the, the country. And I was living in Urbana, Illinois at the time. It was traveling to southern Illinois, and it was about a three-hour trip. And I, I went on a Sunday evening to preach in southern Illinois. And uh, God had really moved in that service, really powerful time. Uh, in that church, and then I had to drive back about three hours to get back to Urbana, Illinois, and uh, man, I had had, I was just having a great time. I was all dressed up in my suit. By the way, I forgot to show you my shirt. My friend bought me, uh, look, check it out, the Sermonator, uh, and so wore that for my friend, and, uh, and, so, uh, and so I was driving back, man, I was all dressed up. I had just gotten engaged, come on somebody, uh, to my my fiance, that's usually who you get engaged to, and, and, uh, and so I was driving home, and uh, well, I was talking to my fiance, and man, living the best life. I remember I had my Bible, uh, there, my paper Bible in the passenger seat, and was just reminiscing about what God had done. I was talking to Christy on the phone, and, and, uh, and then I, I was driving the, what I thought was the speed limit. Now, how many of you ever had this happen where you enter into a different speed limit but if you're not paying close attention, you don't realize it. Come on. Like the speed limit went way down, and I did not drop my speed down. Now, I don't want to lie in church. I've had a lead foot most of my life. I'm actually in a season right now where I've had the longest stint of my life without getting pulled over. So God is doing good things. And, uh, and so I'm driving, man, with my lead foot, talking to my fiance. God had just moved. I'm dressed up. You know, feel good about life. And then all of a sudden, the, the lights came on that night. And Barney Five had been waiting there for me. And all of a sudden, I, just, I realized that I was in a small town. The reason I realized I was in a small town, is the first time I realized that was when I got pulled over, is because when I pulled over to the side of the road, there were, I actually pulled over in front of somebody's house, and there were two dudes with bib overalls sitting on the porch in rocking chairs. And uh, they had, like, you know, cigar type thing. And I was, like, their entertainment for the evening, you know. And, uh, and so the cop pulled me over and walked over to the car. And he said, I'll take your driver's license and insurance card, please. And Yes, sir. And, and uh, I told him who I was. And uh, I said, hey, you know, I don't, I, this might not matter. But I'm a, you know, I'm an evangelist. I, I travel and talk about Jesus for a living. And he just looked at me like, yeah, I don't really care. And, uh, and so he said, you were going over the speed limit. And so I, uh, I handed him my driver's license, and I couldn't find my insurance card anywhere. So I'm looking all over my insurance card. He finally said to me, he said, hey, uh, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to go ahead and, and, uh, and run you and, and write, write out your ticket. And I thought, oh, great. I'm, I'm already in, in for a ticket. He said, whenever you find that card, don't get out of the car, he said, but just wave at me, let me know you found the card. So he went back to his car and did what he was doing. Man, I couldn't find the insurance card anywhere. I looked everywhere. I finally, after about five, six minutes, I, I located my insurance card. I remember sticking my head out of the, uh, you know, the window there and my insurance card in my hand kind of, you know, and he didn't come. I thought, man, why, why would, he needs this. Why wouldn't he come? And so I waited a couple more minutes. I tried it again. He still didn't come. And I was actually in my car for close to 20 minutes. Now, at this point, I'm getting concerned. This is like a level above, trust me, I've been pulled over a few times. This is a level above 
just getting pulled over and getting a ticket. And so I actually called a couple of my friends, you know, and I'm like, pray, intercede on my behalf. I don't know what's going on, but this isn't good. And uh, he came back to my car, and this time he had kind of a, a swag to his walk a little bit more. It was different than the first time. He kind of walked over, you know, and uh, I don't know if this is exactly how it went, but, uh, but he walked over to the window, and I said, sir, I said, I found my insurance card. He said, young man, we've got a bigger problem than that. And I said, what's that, sir? And he said, your driver's license is actually invalid. And I said to him, I just looked up at the officer really nicely, and I said, what does that mean? And he said, if you could get out of the car right now and put your hands on top of the hood. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh, my word, I know what's about to happen. I'm about to be arrested. I've seen cops before. I know I'm about to be arrested. And so literally, and the two guys in the bib overalls, they are loving their entertainment for the evening. They're like, this is so much better than a movie theater. This is great. And so I get out of my car, still dressed in my suit that I had on that night, put my hands on top of the hood. He frisked me, and then he said, put your hands behind your back. And I'm like, no, this is really happening. He put real cuffs, not fake cuffs, iron real cuffs. And then he asked me the weirdest question. I don't know if this is normal that they ask this, but he said, are those comfortable for you? And I just thought to myself, I, I have no idea what these are supposed to feel like, you know? And so he put me in the back of a squad car. He drove me to the, the nearest station, uh, you know, police station, which was about 15 miles away. That shows you what kind of a small town we were in. And man, I had no idea. I had never been to jail before. I didn't know what to do. But there was a greeter that was there at the back door of the jail. Like, literally, somebody opened the door for us when we, we got there. I felt like I was in church, you know, like, hey, welcome to jail. Uh, here's the list of our weekly events going on this week, you know. And uh, so I, I go to my jail cell. They, they actually, they thumbprinted me, mugshot. I'm still in my suit from preaching, by the way. And uh, the whole deal, and... That wasn't the worst part of the night. The worst part of the night was when I had to make a collect call to my pastor, my boss, my spiritual father at 2.30 in the morning. The collect call went like this. You're now receiving a collect call from Sangamon County Jail. Please state your name, Wayne Northup. And Papa G, my pastor, said, bro, you're in jail? I said, Pastor, I don't want to talk about it. Please send somebody right now to bail me out. And just so you know, I want you to know this. The driver's license was valid. There had been a clerical error, and I actually received an apology from a judge. Okay, so I am not a felon talking to you this morning. But I was speeding and had a habit of speeding most of my life. I'm so much better now. But most of my life, I had a habit of speeding, and it happens every once in a while, even today. And I learned something that day that, that all of you may know, and hopefully uh, you haven't learned too much, but here's what I learned. If you violate the law, you suffer the consequences. Come on. If you violate the law, you're going to suffer the consequences. And you know what? This isn't just crime. 
This is actually present in every area of our life. If you violate God's relational laws, you will suffer the consequences. If you violate laws like do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you're going to suffer the consequences if you don't honor that law. If you don't follow that law, you're going to end up lonely. You're going to end up frustrated. Uh, You're going to end up angry and bitter and, and not have enough people close to you. If you violate health laws, guess what? You're going to have high blood pressure. You're going to have heart issues. You're going to have high cholesterol. There are laws that are in place, relational laws, laws of health, and other laws that are in place that when you violate them, you're going to suffer the consequences. Well, I'm here today to tell you that if you violate God's financial laws, you're also going to suffer the consequences. If you violate the laws that God has placed in his word that, that tells us how we are to operate with our resources and with his finances, how we are to manage and steward his resources, if you violate those laws, you're going to suffer the consequences. In other words, if you do God's laws, if you follow God's laws, then they will follow you. If you follow God's laws about money, God's laws about money will follow you. You'll have a blessed life. God will will shine on your finances. If you don't follow God's laws about money, guess what? The opposite happens. Now, here's the good news. Maybe you're here today and you're not really a church goer. You're not a a, a big Jesus person. Maybe somebody invited you and, uh, and they cared enough about you to bring you here today or you saw us on some ad or website or whatever, and man, you're, you're here. You're one of our few guests that we have on Memorial Day. By the way, can we honor those people in the room this morning? We're so, so, so glad. We're so glad that you are here. And if you're here today and you're not really a Jesus person, guess what? Here's the good news for you. These laws, some of them are going to apply to you as well. And some of what I'm going to talk about today, you don't even have to be a Christ follower to be able to follow these laws. So you came on the right Sunday this morning. So there's a lot of laws that God has about money, but I don't have time to go into all of them. We're going to go into just six of them. We're going to do this quickly. We're going to race through these. And so I want to give you God's laws this morning about finances. The first one is this, the law of ownership. The law of ownership. Remembering God is my source. Who is your source? Come on, who is your source? Wait, is your, is your boss your source? Okay, is your company your source? Is that paycheck your source? Is your business your source? Hello? Is your social security income your source? No. Are your parents your source? Kind of. All right. God is my source. Listen to what Paul tells his son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. In other words, it is God who supplies us with what we have. He owns it all, and he chooses by his goodwill to give it to us. So how crazy would it be for us to transfer our trust from God to money? Hello? I don't trust money. I've lived long enough now at 46 years old to go, you can't trust money. You can't trust the stock market. You can't trust that your income will be there next week. But you know who you can trust? You can trust Jesus. You can always trust him. In other words, 
we have to learn how to trust the provider, not the provision. We have to learn how to trust the provider, not the provision. So when, when, that, when something happens and you have to get let go from the company and, and a pandemic, let's just say, you know, like sometime in the far future when there's this thing called a pandemic, you probably never heard of it before, but, but uh, you know, a pandemic is really bad. It can affect the whole world. I'm just explaining it because I know, you know, we don't really understand what that looks like, but, uh, but I'm kidding, y'all, okay? It, but when a pandemic hits, we can go, hey, even though the company had to let me go, even though I had to take a salary cut, even though that had to happen, listen, God is my source. I don't trust the provision. I have my trust in the provider. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. If you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this, and all by myself, I'm rich. It's all mine. The message version says, well, think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all this wealth so as to confirm the covenant that he promised to your ancestors as it is today. The, the second that we view our finances as, look what I did, you've already violated God's first law. God's law of ownership. He is your source. It's all his. And he chooses to say, well, I worked hard. For my income. I worked hard for that paycheck. Who do you think gave you the breath to be able to wake up in the morning and work? Hello? Who do you think gave you the strength to work? Who do you think did that for you? God is your source. Number two, the law of tithing. The law of tithing. Honor God first. This is a principle of everything in your life, by the way. Whatever you want God to bless, put him first in that. If you want God to bless your marriage, make sure Jesus is at the head of your marriage, that he's first in your marriage. You want God to honor your home, you better make sure that you dedicate that home to Jesus and you say, this is not our home, this home belongs to you. We want to use this home for ministry. We want to use this home to host small groups. We want to use this home to pro pro propel the kingdom of God forward. We, if you want God to honor your work, Put God first in your work. If you want God to honor your time and you want him to bless your time, honor him by putting him first with your time. Whatever area you want God to bless in, you make sure that you honor him by putting him first. This is the law of tithe. If we want God to bless our finances, we put God first in our finances. Now, if you weren't here last week to hear the entire message that we had on tithing and, and, uh, and y'all... Remember, how many of y'all remember my, my fruits and vegetables illustration uh, from last week? Okay, when we get 10 watermelons, how many do we give to God? One, we give one back to the Lord. When we get 10 cauliflower, we give how many to God? Somebody said none. No, one. Somebody else said, I'll give God all my cauliflower. I don't like that stuff. The tithe is a, is a biblical word for 10. It just means 10%. Whatever your income is, the tithe is the first 10%. And it's not the last 10%, and it's not the leftover. It is the, the first 10%. You give God first. And just in case you need a little short refresher on what the tithe means, let's look at these verses uh, that go over with us what we do to tithe. First of all, let's talk about how we tithe. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income and he will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats 
with the finest wines. Let's talk about why we tithe. Deuteronomy 14.23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. By the way, most of the, the verses that I'm sharing with you today are straight from a version of the Bible called The Message. I love The Message because it, uh, it just says it in plain English so we can read it. Let's talk about where we tithe. Where do I put that tithe? Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be food enough in my temple. If you are a regular part of Saints Community Church, if this is your church, you're a regular attender, a member, whatever you consider yourself here at this church, if you come on a regular basis, that means this is your storehouse. This is your church. This is where your tithe goes. Let's talk about when. 1 Corinthians 16.2, on every Lord's Day, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. One tithe is not different than another tithe in God's eyes. It's whatever you earn, okay? So that's the second law of tithing. Let's talk about the third law, which is the law of investing. The law of investing. Save money faithfully. Here's what Proverbs 21.20 says. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Let me say that one more time. You can nudge your spouse, whichever one the spender is. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. There was a survey done, uh, uh, a, a global survey that was done and in, in the year 2015. And what they found out was Europeans save 18% on average, 18% of their income. Pretty amazing, right? Guess what they found out about Americans? Americans spend 1% more than what they earn. Let me just go over those stats again. Europeans save, on average, 18% of their income. Americans, on average, spend 1% more than what we earn. We could use this principle, right? Listen to Ecclesiastes 11, verse 2. Invest what you have in several different businesses because you don't know what disasters might happen. Proverbs 13, 11, Money that comes easily disappears quickly. Just for any of you that are like wanting to get in the get-rich-quick kind of schemes, you know, the pyramid things and all that stuff. Like, it, let me just read that verse one more time. Money that comes easily disappears how? Yeah, quickly. It just disappears quickly. But money that is gathered, what? What are those words? Little by what? Little by little will what? It, it's right. Oh, it's not on the screen. It's not on the screen. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong with them? It's right there. Just read it. Oh, just kidding. Proverbs 13, 11, money that comes easily disappears quickly. Money that is gathered little by little will grow, the Bible says. It will grow. It's not about the amount you are saving. It's about the consistency of what you are saving. And it's a little by little approach. Every month we put money aside and we save. And we put money aside and we save. We do this little by little little. The Bible does not encourage us to hoard money. It does encourage us to save money. Thank you, pastor, for telling us. Number four, 
the law of budgeting. The law of budgeting. Planning my spending. Planning my spending. Proverbs 21, verse 5. Good planning and hard work lead to what? I checked to make sure it was on the screen first. Okay. Good planning and hard work lead to what? Prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to what? Here's my encouragement. Okay, practical encouragement for you. Every month, you need to, to have a time, a couple hours, that you literally sit down with your budget and you go, here's where my money is going to go this month. If you're married, your spouse better be a part of that conversation. Okay? And if you're the one that handles the finances in your marriage, this is not a, well, I'm going to tell them what we're, what we're going to do with our finances. Nope. You're going to bring them along. You're going to sit down on the journey, and you're going to have the conversation that most married couples don't want to have. And that is, what does this month look like? Let's budget our money out. Let's plan this. Because I'm here today to tell you something. You can write this down. If you don't make plans to manage money, money will make plans to manage you. If you don't make plans to manage money, money will make plans to manage you. So you sit down and you figure out, this is our tithe. Here's our, our kingdom builders, our offerings. This is how much we're saving, okay? This, and then this is where our money is going to go. Live on a budget. There are some questions that you've got to ask yourself on a monthly basis. These are so good. I would encourage you to write these down. Here's the questions. What do I own? What do I owe? What do I earn? And where does it go? Here we go. What do I own? What do I owe? What do I earn? And what? Where does it go? Some of you are living a life that's like, I don't know where it goes, but it's gone. These are monthly questions that you can ask yourself just to plan and budget. Budgeting is in the Bible. And I just want to encourage you, two side notes on this. First of all, I'm not going to have you raise your hands. There's going to be no confession that has to happen here. This is to ponder in your heart. But there are some of you in the room that are impulse buyers, okay? In other words, you see something and you go, I got to have that, okay? You are a dream for marketers. You are a dream for store owners. You walk into the mall and I don't even know if you realize that they intentionally set stuff up in certain places. There are ads that pop on your television. Everything is, and this is how I view it, they're trying to get me. They're trying to, when I see a, a commercial and my heart goes, ooh, that, I like that, that's cool. They're trying to get me. It's no different. Listen, some of you are no different than your five-year-old who watches TV and they put toys on the commercial and your five-year-old goes, Mom, can I have that? You say, I don't do that. Oh, no, they put different stuff on the screen for us. Hello? They put vacation homes on the screen for us and, and boats on the screen for us and different kinds. So we, we can be quickly turned into impulse buyers. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've heard this term used with Christ followers. I've heard this used. Man, that is such a good deal. God did that for me. God is not always behind every good deal. Hello? So how could I pass this up? It's such a good deal. I have uh, somebody in my life that they, they love to shop. 
and uh, it's not my wife, y'all, okay, uh, or my mom, okay, just so you know, it's nobody you know, uh, but they love to shop, and, uh, and they'll walk through the doors, and they'll, they, they, they love doing like garage sale type stuff, and, all, and they walk through the door with all of this stuff, and they go, look at this, this is amazing, it usually costs $50, but I got it on sale for $20, and I never asked the question, but I think to myself, yeah, but did you really even need it anyway, Hello? So you've got to avoid impulse buying, and budgeting and planning is actually going to help you with that. I also want to encourage you on this. This almost uh, ended up being a solo point by itself, but I just wrapped it into here. Listen, eliminating debt out of your life better be part of your budget plan. Eliminating debt. Man, it got quiet. Out of your life better be a part of your budget planning. Romans 13.8 says this. Paul told the church in Rome, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Number five, let's talk about the law of contentment. The law of contentment. Enjoy what I have. Here's what I want to help you understand. I did a, a message years ago called Welcome to the Land of Rich. And um, some of you are like, I, that's not a sermon I need to hear because I'm not rich. Did you know that nobody actually believes they're rich? Did you realize that millionaires don't believe they're rich because they're not billionaires? Billionaires don't believe they're rich because they're not trillionaires. And people that make $100,000 don't believe they're rich because there's somebody else that makes $250,000. And people that make $40,000 think they're not rich because somebody else makes $80,000. So the answer to when do you believe you're going to be rich, there's one, a one-word answer. When I get what? More. When I get more, then I'll be rich. And so here's what we do. We strive. Man, we do everything we can because we believe all we have to do is just get a little bit what? more if I just can get a little bit I can be happy man if I just had a little bit more then everything would be okay and we'd be able to do this and we'd be able to do that and so you'll work hard because you believe the answer to your life is just getting a little bit what more let me tell you something Contentment has nothing to do with how much you have. And there are very, very few people in life. I mean, I'm talking about that I know personally, you count them on two hands, that live with this law of contentment. That literally going, God, you've blessed me. You've taken care of my family, taken care of my needs. I've never gone hungry. Lord, thank you for everything you've done for me. Thank you, God, I am content. Some of you, can like, it would be hard for you to even say that word, okay? I'm going to have you repeat three words with me. Ready? I am content. Some of you are like, I can't say it, I'm not. I got to get my grind on. I got to do more. I got need more. Let's say it again. Come on. I am what? I'm content. I'm content. Listen to what Paul said. It's one of the most frequently 
misquoted, out-of-context verses that's used. We use, we use it on football fields most of the time, but it has nothing to do with, with football, okay? Listen to, listen to what Paul said. He wrote to the church in Philippi in, in chapter 4, and he said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be what? Oh. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being what? Content in any and what, how many situations? Every situation, Paul said. I can be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here we go, the most frequently misquoted verse of all time. I can do all this through him who strengthens me. Come on, y'all have heard that on the football field, about to go out in the locker room. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That has nothing to do with you winning the game. You know what that has to do with? Contentment. It has to do with having a spirit of contentment where you say, God, I'm okay. I thank you for what you've given me, Lord, and, and I know what it means to be rich and to have a lot. I know what it means to have not have a lot because here's, look this way, y'all. Money can never be your contentment. Your contentment is found in Jesus. And I have Jesus when I'm wealthy, and I have Jesus when I'm not wealthy. And Paul said, he said, I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to not have a lot, but I can do all of this because I have Jesus. It is him who gives me the strength to be content. And I'm just going to Side note this, some of you, if you got a hold of this principle, your life would change. You would have time for small group because, well, I can't, man. I work every night. Every night of the week, I'm working overtime. I, gotta, I, I need more. I got to get my grind on. We got to do this. We got to do that. Listen, if you would live with the law of contentment, you would, you would reach a point where you go, I've done enough. I've worked enough. I'm going to be in that. I'm going to show up for small group because that's going to spiritually help me grow. This was the one that as I prepared this week, I felt like I needed to hang on on the longest, the law of contentment. Number six, last one, the law of generosity. I will use what I have to help others. The law of generosity. I will use what I have to help others. Tithing is the law of, there's obedience attached to tithing. Tithing is not generosity, okay? Tithing is not, oh, look at me, God, I've been so generous to propel the church forward in its work. That, that's, tithing is just simply saying, God, I'm obedient to what your word says to honor you first and to tithe. Generosity is different. Generosity is, man, this, oh, this love, this joy, this I've, I'm excited to help other people. This is a step beyond tithing. It's a step beyond obedience. It is I see needs, I fill those needs. I gave the kingdom builders because I believe in what God's going to do around the world through the money that Saints Community Church gives. I believe in what God's going to do locally to our nonprofits as we lift up their arms. I believe that we're going to help missionaries and church planners and we're going to propel our, our, our vision here locally forward. I believe in what God's doing and I want to be generous. I want to give offerings generously. The opposite of being generous is being possessive. The opposite of being generous is being possessive. I had a friend of mine 
uh, that I, I love and admire and respect that handed me a quote a few weeks ago after on a Sunday morning by Corey Ten Boom. If you don't know who that is, it is one of the most amazing women that survived the Holocaust and is a radical woman of God. And she said this. She said, don't hold your fist too tight to your stuff because then it will hurt when God has to pry it open. Don't hold too tightly to your stuff because then it hurts when God has to pry your fingers open. Come on. Can we not be a church that lives like God has to pry our fingers open? Can we be a church that lives like this? Hello? Can we be a church that lives with our hands open saying, we want to bless people, we want to help people, and you don't have to ask Saints Community Church twice. We're going to jump in and fill the need. Hello? We're going to live a life of generosity. Listen to what God's Word says. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and, who, and, and one who waters will himself be watered. I've never met a generous person that got mad about being generous. It's hard to be generous and angry at the same time. Hello? I've never met anyone that went, yeah, I gave it. I, I, I gave to that need. Hate it. Hate it. Feel angry about it. I've never met anyone that lived a generous life and was an angry person. Proverbs 21, 13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Pretty powerful verse. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Let's look at 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in what? In deed and in truth. In other words, what John could have said is, hey, y'all, put your money where your mouth is. Don't just say you love them. Show love and generosity gives us a chance to do that as we close and the band comes forward today i want to focus in on a verse that has great connotations to it luke chapter 16 verse 11 and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth who will trust you with the true riches of heaven this is jesus talking by the way let me read it one more time and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? In other words, if you can't manage what God owns and what he's given you, and you can't follow his financial laws with the resources here on this planet, how can God trust you with resources that come from heaven? Hello? In other words, kingdom business. How can God trust you to run his kingdom work when he can't trust you to operate and live according to his laws in this world? Hello? Now, now I want you to just look at the dichotomy here, okay? 
Look at the dichotomy here between our world and his world. And live at the dichotomy of when Jesus says, if, you can't, if I can't trust you with worldly wealth, how can I trust you with the kingdom of God? Okay, look at the dichotomy when I read this to you. This is, this is the, the stats from the United States of America. And look at that and say, can God give us the kingdom of God and, 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 and what he wants to do in the kingdom when we are not trustworthy with worldly resources, the wealth that he gives us? Number one, the average household has 300,000 items in it that have been purchased. 300,000. Number two, nearly 10% of households also rent a self-storage unit because not all the stuff that they have can fit in their house. Contentment, anyone? Hello? Number three, the average person who takes out a new car loan takes out $27,000. Number four, 68% of us live paycheck to paycheck. Number five, annually an average of $220 per person in the United States is spent on the lottery. 26% of Americans have no emergency savings. People spend an average of 399 hours and 46 minutes, catch this, y'all, shopping every year. 399 hours and 46 minutes shopping every year. The median amount saved for retirement is less than $60,000. The average household has $7,283 in credit card debt. How can we live like that? And say, Jesus, we can handle the kingdom of God that you want to give to us. Hello? I'm telling you, listen to me. Follow God's laws of finances. If you'll follow his laws about money, God's laws about money will follow you. And he will be able to trust you with his kingdom. Why Why do we take what his word says about our resources so seriously. Here's why. Because we are disciples of Jesus. Hello? We understand that he owns everything. Remember the first week, a couple weeks ago, when I said when we get baptized in water, we can't hold up our wallet and keep make sure that stays out of the water? When we get baptized in water, we're saying it all belongs to you. I surrender everything, Lord. You are the Lord of, of everything in my life. The Lord of my relationships. You're the Lord of my time. You're the Lord of my thoughts. You are the Lord of my finances, God. You own it all. I am your disciple. So what does that mean? That means that we follow his laws. That means that we follow his laws of ownership, remembering he's our source. That we follow his law of tithing, honoring God first. That we follow his his law of investing, saving money faithfully that we follow his law of budgeting, planning my spending, that we follow the law of contentment, enjoying what we have and being content with whatever it is God's given us, and that we follow the law of generosity, using what we have to help other people. This works, y'all. And how do I know it works? 
because I've had seasons and times in my life where I follow these laws closely. And look at this. I've had seasons in my life where I've had several of these I have not paid as close attention to. And guess what? There was a blessing that was missing in my life during those seasons. 